Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage. I'm your host, Greg Sobosinski. And here we are again today talking to another business owner about some very, very, very cool things in the beverage space. Um, he owns a, a brewery, a coffee shop, and um, we have Chuck Garrity here. Chuck, how are you? Great. How are you, Greg? Uh, very, very good. So let's start here. Let's start with with you and and what you're the head of and give a brief description of what we have here at Death of the Fox. Yeah, sure. So um so I've been in uh a home brewer for uh I'd say close to 15, 16 years at wow, this yeah. point. I still consider myself a home brewer, even though I don't brew at home because like and I love, you know, I love all home brewing. I actually uh started a uh club uh back about 10 years ago that eventually led to death of the fox so i used mm. to have meetings in my basement and, uh, <laughs> and some of those guys eventually became uh, my brewers yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, that's some of the best times is when you know you're down the basement just chilling although I, I can't imagine at this point brewing for fun for a five uh a five gallon batch you know, <laughs> spending like six hours for that it's, that doesn't I, I hear you I even hear though you. i there was nothing more fun in the world to me 10 years ago yeah now it, it seems like I, I can't even imagine it <laughs> but, <laughs> absolutely but i still love brewing it's 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 but it's it is a job now so so you have a pretty unique thing here i think i believe it's still the only only uh business in new jersey that's both a, a joint coffee shop and brewery all under one house. yeah and 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 just a couple of years ago we actually took advantage of covid uh being closed uh you know our tasting room being closed and we added our coffee roastery so now we roast all of our own beans so basically you know in the back of our uh, in the back of our shop, one side is a brewery, the other side is a coffee roastery. So, how did you? Let's talk about you, younger, younger Chuck. Did you always have an inkling for business? What was your prior background before kind of jumping into this venture? Well, yeah. So it's interesting. So uh, I was a I was a political science major in college. I went to the College of New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, and then I got my MBA at uh, uh, Widener University. And uh, I I actually went into healthcare, so my MBA is in healthcare administration. Oh. Um, and I uh, I worked for Children's Hospital Philadelphia while pursuing my MBA. That was in the nineties. Uh, so you know I'm dating myself right now, but you know good times, good times. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so so basically I was uh, a healthcare executive for uh, most of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at, as I said, uh, chop. I also worked at Drexel college of medicine. Uh, I was a uh, director of their clinical and financial applications. So, um, basically business operations as it relates to technology was, was my niche in, in, in uh, healthcare. So, um, if you ever heard of like electronic health records and, mm-hmm. uh, the analytics around that yeah. and, and predictive analytics and all of, so, you know, uh, one of I spent a good ten years of my career uh, after working in you know for in the provider segment for for Chop and for you know Drexel and and uh, I, I wound up getting involved in management consulting because I realized that uh, instead of like staying in an office and you know nine to five job I could be traveling all over the country and doing uh, big projects and system implementations because. Mm-hmm. It's always been, you know, I always found myself like kind of, I bore easily, you mm-hmm. know, so. Uh, Get a little antsy in the, in the nine. So I loved, the pro- I loved, you know, even when I was working um, in, in, for health organizations themselves, I, I loved running projects, but after the project was over mm-hmm. and it came to like day-to-day management and just like, you know, okay, you know, the, I guess uh, 
you know, the, the, the real exciting fun part is over. And now it's just a matter of maintaining whatever that system or that process. Mm-hmm. So I found that management consulting was a really uh, a great opportunity to get involved in basically taking best practices and, um, you know, implementing these systems and going from one healthcare organization to another, to another. So, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, after about five, six years on the road running projects, I wound up getting involved in the, uh, you know, more of, I guess you would say a higher level of responsibility in running uh, regions of the country, um, having projects, multiple projects under me. And ultimately, when you work for a, you know, I worked for a company out of Boston. It was a boutique firm uh, about a, so we started, when I started with Beacon, Beacon Partners, it was about a $10 million company uh, when I left. And that was about, that was in 1999. When I uh, left in 2013, we were close to a hundred million dollar company. Wow! And so we had gone through multiple reorganizations, and uh, one of the you know the one of the best uh, piece of advice I ever got was from um, you know the CEO Ralph uh, from that company. Really, just you know he, he's you know he he used to say that the you know the team that got you to you know a twenty million dollar company is going to be different than the team that gets you to a hundred million dollar company. Um, you know, hopefully you'll be able to keep, uh, you know, your core people, but you need to constantly be evolving. You need to constantly be changing and, you know, kind of upping your game. Um, and sometimes that that requires, you know, investment into, uh, you know, both, you know, capital and people uh, to make sure that, you know, you are hitting the next level of success. Hmm. So I've always kind of kept that in mind. I learned a lot of lessons through that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it really, I guess, I guess you could say is, you know, from a business perspective, I, uh, you know, I was, I, you know, eventually in 2013, um, I left Beacon and, uh, they were bought by KPMG. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I wound up with Pricewaterhouse PwC. So I, you know, I was with uh, PwC for a time. I also spent some time when a venture backed, uh, uh, analytics firm uh, for our regional vice president. So, you know, had a fair amount of different experiences. Definitely, you know, the first, I would say the first half of my career uh, was focused on implementing these systems in healthcare, you know, just being able to capture, you know, we're going from a paper-based process into an electronic-based process and capturing this data digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second half of my career was what do you do with that data? So, you know, making decisions, predictive analytics, uh, being able to, you know, control uh, both the, uh, you know, the patient experience, having better insight on financial performance. And, uh, you know, healthcare is a really, <laughs> uh, you know, they were, I, I guess, you know, they were a step, a step or two behind mm. the the times. And uh, I think they still are in a way. So, um so very different than than brewing beer, obviously. So it's spent a lot of time on the road. So, yeah, yeah I think yeah, you know, I, I see that. I see that a lot of people who make a transition at some point. It seems like you like the excitement. You like the being on the road part. You like kind of like the project management, um, and that lends itself well to to business in general. Being able to 
um, deal with fires on a day-to-day basis, put things out, manage those things as they come up and be able to, to move forward smoothly. Yeah. When I, when I would sit down with a client, you know, a CFO or, you know, a, you know, a COO of a healthcare organization, and they would always have excuses to say why they were different. Mm. Uh, you know, oh, things run so differently here. We're not like every other large healthcare system. And, uh, you know, you have to tell them that they weren't. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody has, you know, everybody has their own fingerprint, obviously, mm. but you know, 80, 20, 80, 20. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the problems that a, uh, an organization of Philadelphia has is the same types of issues that one in Texas has. Mm. Um, especially when you reach a threshold of growth. So, you know, that was the value of, of, uh, you know, the, the management consulting firm, I, you know, that we brought to our clients was, Basically, you know, we would bring these best practices and these insights on how to run their businesses more effectively and also implement their systems in a way that's not totally chaotic. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So um, understanding that they, it's not just slamming in technology, but it's also understanding the operational impact and the workflows and all these things that needed to be done uh, in order to effectively you know, implement that that system or whatever it is so let's talk about the the transition then what what year did you transition out of that business and into into this business so i left uh price in 2015 okay um i did some independent consulting uh for the next year or so but at that point um death of the fox was definitely happening Mm. um you know i i guess the the original I get the 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 company was founded in 2014. Mm-hmm. It's probably formulating in my head two or three years before that. Um, but just like you know, I was very you know busy, uh, had no bandwidth whatsoever to even think about creating another business because spent a lot of time on the road, as we mentioned, and that type of thing. And uh, you know, being on the road, by the way, is great when you're in your 20s and early 30s. But when you have a family and you know you're in your 40s and you know, you're getting on a plane every week. It's not incredibly uh, glamorous, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so it's, uh, you know, that definitely changed for me as well. Um, and so the idea of having a local, uh, being able to, you know, literally, you know, uh, walk to work or ride my bike to work and not have to worry about getting on a plane every week mm. or driving, you know, 300 miles to a client, uh, seemed, you know, more and more appealing. Um, plus it, you know, I, I guess, you know, I'd reached the point where, uh, I was, I was frustrated with the corporate world. Mm. You know, it was, it was basically, I could, I was at the threshold of be- becoming a partner at PwC. Um, and I realized I wanted something different. So what, what did that, um, I guess, transition look like you over, over those years. And when, when that finally formed in your head, did you have any hesitancies about stepping away or are you pretty much, I, I'm in this and I'm going to make it work somehow? Or were there things crawling in the back of your head? Anybody who tells you that they they don't have hesitancy about doing something so drastic mm. uh, is lying to you. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of concerns, especially, you know, in terms of starting a business, taking the risk on yourself. I was very mm. confident but, you know, the fact is, you know, I decided when I when I did do it that I was going to do it all the way. So. Thank you. <laughs> so. Um, so. So basically the, um, uh, uh, you know, stepping away from 
a full-time, you know, even doing part-time work and, and going into your, creating your own company, building your, you know, you know, putting together a business plan, uh, you know, managing the project, the construction project, um, you know, all of that from scratch, uh, you know, that took a, over a year, year and a half. And uh, obviously I wasn't being paid. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, I did some independent work, obviously, during during that time. But, um, yeah, you know, it was it was definitely a scary time. But I really felt confident about what we were doing. What's what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's in a similar position? Maybe they, um, you know, really have an idea in their head and they want to move forward with it. But they they have some of those hesitancies that we were talking about. What what would you tell them having gone through that? um, That's probably the most important thing to remember. Uh, a couple things. Number one, I would say that make sure that you not only that you put together a comprehensive business plan and understand how you're going to finance it, uh, understand, you know, what, you know, that the business is not going to run itself. Who's going to run the business? You know, mm-hmm. I, I tell entrepreneurships, you know, entrepreneurs all the time, you know, uh, you know, especially serial entrepreneurs, as they like to ca- uh, call themselves these days love having three or four projects, you know, happening at once. Um, and that, that's amazing to me because to me, you know, doing something right requires time and dedication. So that's the first thing is making sure that you understand, uh, you know, that you put together a solid business plan and understand, you know, the financing that the time and resources that it's going to take in order to get it done. Um, the, the second thing I would say is, um really really take a step back and say to yourself how is this going to be different what am i going to bring to the market that you know that is going to be in in this case in my case you know a differentiator you know um and so that was incredibly important to me um i will say this is that you know, at that, at the point, you know, we, I started putting together my business plan, almost no breweries in the state of New Jersey were open more than two or three days a week. Mm, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> so, you know, now it's more common that they're open more, but, um, you know, that was, uh, that was one of my first obstacles because I knew I didn't have the, the capital, um, and I, I had the capital and I had the, you know, I had the financing in order to make it work but I didn't have $20 million, you know, to do a huge production brewery. I knew I had to start relatively small and then build up from that. That's our wonderful espresso. Yeah. But for, the, for the listeners right now, we're, we're live in the, in the brewery coffee shop right now. So you might hear some stuff in the background. So, uh, so the business going on in the background. So, you know, um, my college roommate, actually, it was really funny. Uh, we were sitting around a little hungover on new year's day in uh, 2014 and, uh, you know, we had been talking about this idea and, you know, I was, I was just thinking of different ways to how we, how I wanted to make this different. And, um, you know, you know, the fact is, you know, if I'm traveling to a different city, um, you're going to find me at one of two places. If I'm, especially if I'm new to a city and I'm just coming in, if, let's say if I'm traveling for work or whatever, I'm either in a brewery or I'm in a coffee house. Mm. So, uh, you know, what an amazing thing to be able to bring these two things together, which um, also uh, answers 
the issue that we just discussed about making this a you know a two to three day a week business versus a seven day a week business, mm. uh, and not only a seven day a week business, but opening at eight a.m. and closing many times nine ten p.m. at night. So um, you know that is, that is something that again for our concept that doesn't make sense for most breweries, but for us, you know, just being able to fully um, leverage uh, our, our, our uh, investment in terms of our, uh, you know, our lease, our physical space, and to be able to open, be open for customers, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. Um, that, that, that to me was, you know, something that really was a differentiator, hmm. something that was, you know, I, I actually saw it out in the market out in, um, you know, the Colorado, I think there was one or two brewery coffee houses in Colorado, maybe, you know, Pacific Northwest. There was a good one in uh, Austin, Texas. Hmm. So when I started doing this research, but again, my college roommate was sitting around. He was like, what about coffee and beer? I'm like, huh, that's a really good idea, Flan. It, it, <laughs> it's funny. I actually remember um, being in Brewing World a little bit. Um, out of college, that was my original plan was to start a brewery. And this is, I graduated at college in 2015. So um, at that point would have been, you know, a pretty decent time to kind of catch some of that, that wave. Yeah. But like um, the idea is, is, is great. Cause I not only do the two complement each other from like a cultural perspective, meaning like the people, it's kind of the same type of people, people that absolutely. And then, and then additionally, it's like, it kind of is like a, a yin and yang of, how they place themselves within the course of a day. You have right. mostly a morning crowd. You have mostly like the afternoon crowd who's coming off of off of work, wants to go back from for a beer, and both lend themselves to that place where people can just go, relax, and talk. That third space concept. Exactly. You're familiar oh with yeah, that. absolutely. So you know that is um, you know and and you know it's very interesting. You know, last week uh, there was a feature on sixty minutes about the death of the British pub. Um, and it was talking about, you know, the British pub is, you know, especially was hit really hard during COVID and, you know, many of them have gone out of business, but, you know, a pub in England, Ireland, Scotland is much more than a bar. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It is a public house. Absolutely. It is, it is a central hub for the community. And yeah. I really feel that breweries, you know, especially over the last 10 years have kind of taken that on in the States, you know, mm. um, we are that, you know, we are very family friendly. We don't have, we, you know, in a way it's in Jersey. I mean, yes, it is a, you know, double-edged sword. The fact that we, you know, don't, we can't serve food, but mm. I never went into this ex wanting to be a restaurant. Sure. You know, I didn't want to have, you know, waiters walking around with hot plates and that type of thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why, especially on the weekends, we get a lot of families in here. We get a lot of kids running around, that type of thing earlier in the day. Um, you know, and that is uh, people feel comfortable, you know, bringing mm. their families here or, you know, just hanging out and not being on a timeline or on a meal or or whatever it is. Um, so I really feel like, uh, you know, the you know, the the brewery is the modern day public house. It, it, yeah, it's actually really interesting because I think it's almost after all the stuff that breweries went through. And the regulation during during COVID and how they have to maneuver there with their current audience, it's almost like it also lent itself some new growth post those days, right? Because now it's like 
there's more people working from home, but they also need that third space more than ever. Right. Because they they need to get out of the house. They need to go do something somewhere. And this list lends itself to that. Yeah. I mean, we literally have 10 people who work here every day. I mean, they (laughs) bring up their laptops and, you know, they, and, and we love them. I mean, it's like, you know, Chelsea, one of our regulars was, was, uh, said, this is a great, this would be a great area for a sitcom. You know, mm-hmm. to have like, you know, literally like yeah. the office at a brewery, you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Like that type of thing. Uh, it's because kinda like, it's kind of like the friend's couch right here. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like Cheers meets the office. Exactly. You know, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah, especially for our concept and the fact that we we are, you know, a coffee roastery, coffee house and brewery really lends itself towards that. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we provide free Wi-Fi. Everybody, you know, we welcome people to come in and work, work from here and you know, we try to make it as uh, kind of a, you know, as, as as comfy as possible. And we do like, you know, turn down the music and that type of thing during the, uh, you know, especially the early part of the day so people can work and, and focus. So tell, tell us about the, the operation here and some of the, all of what goes into this operation. And then talk, talk about the menus, talk about the stuff that you guys do that you're really proud of here. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let me think. Uh, so the operation. Um, so we have a team of 12 people. Um, I have my general manager, Jen, who's here most weekdays, and she uh, she kind of takes care of the front of the front of the house. Um, I, uh, you know, I have uh, one roaster. No, actually two roasters. I, I just um, hired another. Um, now, mind you that a lot of this stuff, especially in terms of business growth is, you know, I'm fully aware that if I myself uh, were, you know, so single threaded that I was trying to do everything, this business would not grow. Okay. Mm. So it is so critical, uh, to be able to find good people and allow them to succeed and give them the ability to, um, you know, give them the ability to, um, uh, you know, to constantly, you know, to be not only just do their job, but have input, um, you know, I love getting getting feedback from my team mm. about how we can do things better or creative ways that we can, you know, right now over the like over the last six months, one of the biggest successes we've had is coffee flights. So we've done nitro cold brew flights. So basically taking the the concept of um, you know, beer flights and applying that to coffee. Mm. Um, and we just rolled out over the last couple of months our uh cafe Olay flights. So we, you know, really delicious, you know, four different options of, you know, seasonal, um, basically like lattes, uh, small five ounce lattes. And, you know, all of this just kind of percolating from not only, you know, Jen, my general manager, but people who are like, oh, you know, getting good feedback on what people are asking for and being able to have that constant feedback loop. So, um, you know, the front of the house, about 10 people, mm-hmm. and then um, the coffee roaster and the brewers, another four. So I have two people on the roasting side, two people on the brewing side. And mind you that, you know, um, in terms of, you know, when we first started, you know, I, I've been, I, I, I still am involved in most of our brewing and I'm, I'm the head brewer, even though I'm trying to extract myself from that. Um, and I was successfully able to, and, uh, I had a great brewer for last year and then, uh, you know, he kind of moved on. So now I have 
two more team members, and I'm really hoping that works out. Um, on the roasting side, uh, I have, uh, you know, I we roast about three times a week. And again, that's something that I did for the first six months. And then I brought my team on, especially, you know, people who were working in the front. And they were like, well, I'm really interested in learning roasting. I'm like, cool. I need, you know what? I need help roasting. Come on, <laughs> let me show you how to do this. You know, and that's how you keep your people. You know, you you give them opportunities to grow in their position, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a big thing, especially for um, a lot of younger people is they want to have autonomy in what they're, they're doing. They want to yes. feel like they're having it. Again, it's kind of cliche, but an impact in some way. But they also want to feel like they're driving the ship or at least driving their portion of the ship so that they can feel that bigger impact and become proud of where they're working. Right, right. And, you know, it's not just serving the product, but it's making the product, you know. Right. And uh, and the, and, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, and, and really what what I try to um, I guess I guess what we do when both you talk about the similar uh, similarities between, you know, the the brewery side and the coffee side, um, you know, one of our most consistent branding marketing themes is freshness, right? Mm. So we literally every bag of coffee that we make, we, um, that we roast, we timestamp, you know, we timestamp everything. So, you know, and I don't know of any other roaster that does this. Um, but you know that, you know, your beans are fresh and I will tell you that, you know, you want to, uh, you want to consume your coffee within 20, 21 to 24 days after it's roasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you actually don't want to consume it too soon after it's roasted either. So you want to give that coffee an opportunity to breathe. So, um, you know, those are the types of things that I think, um, you know, as you know, again, similarities between uh, the, the coffee side, the beer side, uh, being able to not be single threaded for, you know, trying to do everything myself um, because I think that especially, you know, I talk to business owners and entrepreneurs and all the time. And I think that that is one of the biggest obstacles in running your own business is trying to do everything yourself. You need to trust your people. I'm talking to you listener. You need to trust your people to do it. And that is how you're going to grow. It sounds like to me, like that's a real um, entrepreneur tragic flaw. Yes, is, is like um, they they love the fact that they're doing this venture and they like it, and it becomes their baby, in other words. And they don't sometimes they're afraid to let a piece of that go and be shared with others because they don't want it to taint it in some way. But there's also no growth that doesn't happen. There's an addictive aspect to control, mm. okay, especially yeah. for a business owner. Mm. Um, but you know because and that's why many of us have started our own businesses because we want to be our own bosses because we want to have control. But, and I guess, you know, my corporate background and uh, has kind of taught me and I've been very aware of understanding that, you know, the whole micromanager uh, pitfalls, (laughs) you know what I mean? And sometimes I have to check myself and I have to tell, ask myself, am I micromanaging this situation? Hmm. You know, do I need to step back? Um, you know, is there an opportunity uh, for me to, you know, allow somebody else to do more of the, I want to say the day-to-day, the task-oriented, because as a, as a as a successful business owner, if you're spending most of your day on tasks 
versus planning versus strategy versus networking and growing your business, um, you know, your business is going to remain limited because it's most valuable resource is not being used effectively. Yep. Um, let's dive into this beer real quick. What, what, what do we have here? So this is uh, Brew Jersey. So uh, we just released this last month. And we haven't even gotten into the fun stuff about what's going on with the state of New Jersey. Oh, um, yeah. We have a little <laughs> a little Pandora's box here. To- yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, this is a collaboration beer. Uh, right now, there's over 40 breweries in five states brewing this exact same recipe. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. Um, this uh, was organized through the uh, Brewers Guild of New Jersey. Um, I sit on the Legislative Affairs Committee um, for that organization. Um, and, uh, basically what we're doing is we're trying to, uh, promote and, and, uh, help, uh, help with the legislative activities that are required to change the incredibly stupid brewing laws in the state of brewery laws in the state of New Jersey. And so this beer, 25% of it is dedicated to, um, and will go towards those efforts in uh, working with assemblymen and legislators and uh you know the the uh the governor's office and whoever it needs you know because you know the um right now we've you we really got dealt a blow in july when july 1st um every brewery in new jersey received on their license 18 new conditions which really severely limited our businesses and uh, this this gives you know th- this beer is kind of you know a uh, and and I I will shout out to uh, um, Icarus Brewery uh, they uh, you know they are responsible for coming up with this recipe oh very so, cool and you know I'm pretty happy with it cheers to them cheers yeah so for for those listeners who who don't know um, breweries over the past seven years have really really seen. Um, a wonderful resurgence. Um, a lot of breweries coming into the the fold here, and some people um, don't like that. Um, and we talk a lot on this podcast about problems and how businesses, at their core, are outset is really to solve problems. Both, and then as they solve these problems externally, they have their own internal problems they have to solve. But it seems like now they're, we're being thrown more problems when we don't need more problems. Um, so basically, Chuck, do you want to give an overview of kind of, of what's, what's happening right now? And then I, I read this, the special rulings myself and some of the things on there are, are just egregious. Like a lot of them, um, don't even have to do anything with, um, alcohol and beverage at all. They're mostly entertainment oriented and they're extremely restrictive in ways they shouldn't be. And I think uh, we talked briefly before the podcast here, a lot of them really, um, infringe upon some, um, constitutional rights here. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so basically, you know, the, the, uh, limited brewery license is actually just celebrated its 10th anniversary in the state of New Jersey. So before 2012, 2013, it was almost impossible to open a brewery in the state of New Jersey. You had flying fish, you had a couple brew pubs and that was it. Okay. Because it was so cost prohibitive. The state government saw that and said, Hey, we're missing out on you know, this whole craft brewing revolution that's happening on so many other states, especially in the West Coast. So um, as a result, at then Governor Chris Christie um, 
and and the the, the legislator the legislature passed a new type of license hmm. different than a typical bar or restaurant license which is you know a, a class it's called 33 uh class 33 C license which basically gives you the ability to you know sell wine sell hard alcohol um obviously you know conduct a restaurant have a bar corner bar every and in the state of New Jersey, um, this goes back to post-prohibition, um, you know, 1940s, 1950s, the state limited the number of licenses, these licenses, you know, regular, not, not brewing licenses, but just regular, you know, liquor licenses um, to, I, I think it's 3,000, 3,000 people per license. Okay. So this created scarcity in this market. So, um, and what do you do when you create scarcity? Well, you know, you have a supply and demand equation. Um, you have a limited supply. You have a big demand of people who want to be able to sell, to be able to, you know, have a restaurant to sell alcohol and that type of thing. What the state also did is they opened it up to the free market. So even though um, an actual liquor license in the state of New Jersey, only it costs a few thousand dollars. The way that these licenses are bought and sold are completely open bid, open market. Okay, so that's why you see, let's say, a license in Cherry Hill, a license in Medford. Uh, you know, maybe in a more affluent area, may go for a million dollars, versus let's say a license in, you know, Camden or Paulsboro might go for a lot less than that. Um. So, you know, this is, this kind of created this monster. Okay. The state created this monster that, you know, you know, and, and essentially what, what has happened is that, you know, a liquor license isn't just a license to be able to, you know, have the privilege to sell alcohol. It is a commodity, you know, pure and simple. It's like buying a stock. Okay. That's why, you know, almost a third of licenses in the state of New Jersey are not even used. They're called pocket licenses. You ever heard of a pocket license? No. So a pocket license is, let's say there's five in a municipality. There's five based on that municipality's population. There's five, uh, you know, licenses available in that, you know, in that municipality, somebody or one or two people buy licenses and they just pocket them literally. Mm. And they wait for the value to increase. They don't use them. There are some liquor licenses that that haven't been used for, you know, decades. <laughs> and you know, there are there are you know entrepreneurs and people who are, you know, they'll buy a liquor license. They see an opportunity. They may buy it at, you know, buy low, maybe at you know ten thousand dollars, and maybe looking to sell that. That you know, maybe there's gentrification happening in that area or something like that. And eventually being able to sell that uh, license for hundreds of thousands of dollars, you sure. know, yeah, 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 the state actually, you know, uh, encourages this, right? So what this has created is an environment where you have people who own liquor licenses who say, well, you know, this is, this is the investment for my family. You know, I'm going to be passing this down to my children. You know, this is something, this is an asset. It's like real estate literally you know it's it's like buying a house and you know <laughs> yes. seeing the house and just waiting 
or real estate and just kind of waiting for it to appreciate. Literally, this is what we're dealing with. And so when that law was passed by Chris Christie in 2012 and 2013, uh, basically it allowed breweries to sell alcohol, even though we're making alcohol, we sell alcohol and, you know, we have a bar, <laughs> you know, we have a tasting room, which is fully allowed by uh, and, and actually very specifically stated in the statute that we can sell beer by the pint up to a half, you know, a half barrel beer, 15.5 gallons right out of, out of our tasting room. Um, a lot of license holders had a problem with that. A lot of bars, a lot of restaurants felt that that was number one, creating, you know, a whole nother level of competition they weren't prepared for. Number two, it was uh, devaluing their license mm -hmm. because we only pay, you know, to, I think it's $1,250 a year, but we don't own our license. That's the, that's, that's the thing that is left out of that argument. Most, you know, so they love to say, Hey, you know, you know, if bar if brewers want to be bars, they should just be bars. They should buy a regular license. What they, you know, tend to leave out of that argument is that my license is it's like I'm renting the apartment. Mm -hmm. I don't own the house. Are I pay a per, you know, a permit fee. It really isn't even a license. It's a permit. Yeah. And, and we have to pay it every year. And it basically gives us the right to be able to sell the beer that we make in this building. Is there going to be a, a limit or has there been, uh, been stated a limit for breweries in, in the state of New Jersey as far as total licenses allowed? No. No. No, they have nothing like that. But yep. I can tell you that the number of breweries in the state, uh, all of this, you know, especially the damage over the last few years with all these special rulings and, you know, the ABC uh, coming down and uh, creating all these crazy, wacky rules, it's giving a lot of people a second thought when they don't want to, you know, they'll go to Pennsylvania. They'll go to New York or they'll go to go to Delaware and not have to deal with the hassle of this state. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the background in terms of what, uh, you know, so and, and they just released the Brewers Association just released their numbers. So next to the state of Utah, New Jersey is ranked 49th out of 50 states in terms of breweries per capita now. Really? Yep. So when people tell you that, oh, you know, there's so many breweries open up, blah, blah, blah. Now, go to Pennsylvania. You'll see a lot of breweries opening up all over the place. That state encourages and supports the breweries. Uh, you know, it's probably going to reach a point of saturation, but we're not even close to that in New Jersey, um, basically because the state makes it so difficult. Yeah. It, it, the whole thing kind of seems backwards to me to begin with, because you would think that they would um, encourage these things. I mean, traditionally, uh, you know, local chambers of commerce and other local governments has always wanted businesses there. I, I know, I know certain places who literally, um, you know, pioneered and pushed for breweries to open up there because it would open up the area. And now they're almost like hamstringing the breweries by trying to enforce additional regulations. If a mayor, if a mayor does not have a brewery in their town in this state, they want one because breweries, you know, the ROI on a brewery in terms of Main Street business is is absolutely i mean it's phenomenal unlike am, almost any other business so that's why local chambers of commerce and uh you know uh mayors and even most elected officials 
love breweries because yeah. of the you know not only do you have uh you know the economic development uh opportunities because what happens is a brewery opens and then a restaurant opens you next, know, next to it and then you might have another you know something else pop up and you know that type of thing and you just you look at look at Pittman you know look at Hamilton absolutely look at Williamstown you know look at you, we, there's so many examples and so the mayors in those towns absolutely love their breweries uh there have been several mayors who have contacted me saying we would love to have the second location the death of the fox in our town we have a great location for you you know and um unfortunately you know right now as it stands and long story uh, but, uh, you know, we cannot have a second location uh, that has both coffee and beer. We are uh, grandfathered in, and that's is another story, but we are grandfathered in. No other brewery in the state of New Jersey can do coffee and beer the way that we can because we fought really hard for it. But the double-edged sword of that was that the state said, you can't have a second location that does the same thing. Mm. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're really outspoken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th this is one of the, the big things that was outlined in here. And it said specifically that um, a licensee shall not be serve coffee to patrons. Right. Cannot sell coffee to patrons, which to me has absolutely nothing to do with alcohol. Nope. And I don't know why that would be a thing. It doesn't even really affect other other restaurants because no one's going to a restaurant to basically just get a cup of coffee, maybe, maybe other coffee shops, but they're, they're, there's, they're, we're far away from the saturation point for coffee shops as well. Well, I mean, and that was directly, I mean, when they passed that in 2019, that was directly aimed at you guys, directly, aimed at us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we, we were, um, yeah, you know, when they first passed the ruling, they first passed the special ruling in 2018. Mm. That was suspended in two weeks because of the out the outcry it, which it, it, was we, it was unbelievable we led yeah you know? so we and a few other breweries we got together we got a petition we got thirty five thousand signatures in less than two weeks and uh wisely uh governor murphy said oh wait a second let i, I gotta suspend this thing unwisely nine months later he passed almost the same exact same exact uh ruling so well wait there was something different. They added coffee. I wonder why they did that. <laughs> I'm gonna, I actually have uh, part of the, the special conditions um, uh, pulled up here. I'm just going to read some of these really egregious ones and feel 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 free to chime in when you know your thoughts on some of oh, these. This is like it's, uh, like, it's like you remember I'm like poke, poking uh, the bear here, but but uh, it's like Dave Letterman, like the top ten list, like drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so here here's one: all servers must receive server training and be certified by nationally recognized organization. Um, from my understanding, this isn't even something that's required at restaurants. No, is it? no, and and this is one of the ones that honestly I have I don't have that much of an issue with it just needs to be consistent sure. right yeah like i think our people should have you know tap you know tip certification um you know that's that's absolutely but you know just be consistent about it bars and restaurants anybody who serves alcohol in the state of new jersey should have this certification not just breweries this is the one that really got me um a licensee shall not offer a free drink to any patron as a gesture of goodwill, nor shall it permit happy hour, other specially priced malt alcoholic beverages to be sold. Um, and whenever you see them putting in a, something that says um, not as a gesture of goodwill, 
I mean, what what are you trying to do to your population here? You don't want them to be kind or nice or um, you know, amicable to each other. It, it really, yeah. I, I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand the basis for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it's one of those things where again, it's the privileges of bars and restaurants feel like they own happy hour, just like they own the right to have live music. Yeah, having um, you know, a, a lady or gentleman playing a guitar. Um, and entertaining and providing a, a you know comfortable experience. Yep. There's nothing, nothing at all in the statutes or the the um, you know anything that says that um, bars and restaurants own the right to live music until the state passed this. Interestingly, um, you know the you can go to any coffee house and have uh live music played you know yeah coffee and, house hour or whatever yeah but you know so why why should a brewery be any different especially in our case because we all also are a coffee house yeah exactly um and and a lot of these ones here the ones that really kind of i think ruffle a lot of feathers were the events yeah. a lot of people have events a lot of businesses have events events are just that there are just events and whether that be music whether that be game night whatever that is it's a way for the breweries to bring in additional people to their location and quite frankly it has nothing to do with alcohol and beverage yeah and why should there be regulation by the abc for these things when they have nothing to do with alcohol you know uh so one of our taglines is the abc is regulating entertainment not alcohol mm, you know yeah. their duty is to uh you know is to regulate the commerce and and the sale and distribution of alcohol um you know suddenly their primary their primary role and if you, you and it, they say this they say this in writing is to control this market to create fairness and equity and i use equity in quotes sure yeah um, I, I actually I read that same thing after I saw this I went on and dug on their website and the whole the whole impetus for all this apparently was to increase competition where it seems the only ones being hamstrung here are the breweries right right and you know and that's kind of without going into our lawsuit because we did file a lawsuit against the you know the state and the alcohol beverage control you know death of the fox so death of the fox against you know the uh, versus the state of New Jersey mm-hmm. we filed the lawsuit in September. Um, and the two primary, uh, and, and the thing is, even with, when you say events, there's even a little bit more nuance to that, mm. which is advertised events. Okay. So what the state says, and this is amazing. I mean, absolutely friggin' amazing that the state says that, well, you can have somebody playing, uh, an acoustic guitar, but if they plug in a microphone, or if they plug in that guitar to an amplifier, that counts as an event. Even further, if we if we advertise that event on Facebook or Instagram, suddenly that's considered an event. You, the state limits us as of July first of last year to twenty five events a year. As we mentioned earlier, we're open almost every day. Death of the Fox is open 360 days a year. The state of New Jersey is telling us that we can only provide our customers with an experience, you know, whether it's, you know, trivia, whether it's, you know, things, but but mostly for us, it's live music. I'm a huge music guy. um, And I love, love having live music. Uh, So basically, you know, they are now getting into uh, the business of defining what is 
what is a live music performance and what is our ability to be able to promote and market our business. The number 25 is a complete arbitrary and capricious number. It comes out of nowhere. Mm. Um, I think they may have used that number for number of events that wineries could pour externally. And all of a sudden they're telling us what we can do inside our own spaces, uh, not even outside of our our own spaces. So yeah. And this is yeah. where it's kind of kind of where the, the, the freedom of speech thing comes into play here is when you start trying to regulate how people talk about their business and what they're advertising about it, trying to get out the word about events. I mean, I think what's what's the thing about you you can hang a poster inside your brewery, but right. you can't talk about it on social media. It's like, it's like, you know, literally we're going back to the eighties, you know, yeah. like you have to hang a poster in order to let people know that something's happening and it has to be in the four walls of your establishment. <laughs> so the state says that you can hang a poster, but I can't post anything on you. Know, so essentially what are they doing? They're creating speakeasies, mm. you know, they're creating. And, and again, you know, the, the two, the, the two main points of our lawsuit is number one, um, it's a free speech issue. This is this is commercial free speech. We should have the ability to promote our business just like any other business, just like as we as individuals have right to free speech, corporations and companies have right to free, uh, free speech. Sure. So the state is completely out of their lane. With and, and also the, the right to assemble, I mean, the right, right to have come exactly. together and have events. Exactly. Uh, number two, you know, and this is, even more shocking, you know, even though it's a little more, um, uh, they did not, they, they said that they were going to do this a certain way and, uh, go through a public, uh, public comment period and a note notification of, of rulemaking, which is a formal process. Um, so essentially the state, when the state uh, passes these types of regulations, they just can't do it. They just can't say, okay, starting tomorrow, you can't do all of this stuff, especially as it affects people's livelihoods. You know, um, they need to go through a process called notification of rulemaking and uh, a, a public comment period in order to really understand uh, and get feedback from the public, from, you know, those interested and those impacted by these rules of what that impact would be. Mm. They said they were going to do it in 2019. They never did it. They just put it right onto our licenses. And so um, uh, that is really the heart of our lawsuit. And without going into much further, you know, it's, it's very clearly, and, you know, the, the, the most amazing thing is that, you know, the, the ABC reports up through the attorney general's office, who are a bunch of lawyers. So you would think that they would know better. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you look at any of this stuff on face value, any reasonable person can see this is some of this. It's just ridiculous. I mean, the fact that you're defining an event by someone putting a plug into the end, end of their guitar is, yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty wild. And, and also uh, at heart, and you know, I'll leave it at that because there's just so many great and positive things to talk about, but um, aside from, from this stuff, but you know, the other thing is that, you know, the alcohol beverage control in this state is at heart a public safety organization. Now, let's think about that public safety organization. So they're they're actually telling people that they can't consume food while drinking alcohol. That's illegal. 
in the state of New Jersey. You cross the river to Pennsylvania, it's required. Why yeah. is it required? You do the math. Yeah. You know, so um it's 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 just you know from a from a public safety perspective the fact that and again all of this is is really the influence of the over 6000 bars and restaurants who have very powerful lobbies um to influence the decision making and the you know the regulation and basically to you know to to try to squash yeah. breweries from growing in this state and you know let's 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 put it at that and it's very clear that that is the purpose. I love going to, you know, the state's got great restaurants, great bars. I have nothing against them. They shouldn't have anything about, you know, against a brewery providing experience to our customers. Absolutely. And, you know, the fact is, you know, I knew going into this and I'll leave it at this. When I started the business, I knew that, that two things, you know, basically, uh, you know, at that point, you know, our type of license says, that I can't, I can't sell food, right? I can't have prepared food, uh, nor, uh, so, you know, that's, that's the first thing I, and as I mentioned before, never wanted to become a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. I knew that going in. The second was a tour is required. So a tour, um, has always been kind of a questionable thing. Like, so that's the, one of the other ones that you didn't mention, but yeah. you know, the, the whole fact that the state is requiring a tour every time you want to go into a brewery in order to consume a beer, uh, you have to go through a tour. Just think about that. Right. Right. But I actually, I knew that going in and we knew that, you know, a lot of places they would have, you know, a tour and video or, you know, they'd have a little place card or that type of thing. I mean, a lot of times I'm literally like right now we're brewing in the back right now. It's not a place where I can take people through, uh, you know, so I knew that going in, but the other 16 rules, you know, they were placed upon us and they were pushed upon us after we were open two or three years and had already established our business model. Hmm. And, you know, that's the other thing that really, uh, you know, you just can't change the rules in midstream and suddenly, you know, for people, especially like me who have, you know, invested, literally invested their lives into this business and say, Oh, we have a, we have a bunch of crazy new rules that you, you have to follow starting now. Um, the state can't do that. And if they, if they try to do that, they at least have to go through the right process. So right. that's the heart of our case. I think that's great. I think it's also great that um, they have people pushing back against it. Sometimes these things happen. People have to kind of just roll with the punches and then more and more stuff gets taken from over the years. Um, but, you know, really, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing for this. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be following the case because I'm, I'm really interested. Um, and then is there any other place online people can follow the case or a shout out you want to give to people to things they can do they get to help out? So, uh, yeah, I have to give a big shout out to our um, our the legal foundation who's doing this pro bono for us. And that's Pacific Legal Foundation. They're representing us. Mm -hmm. They're out of California. Uh, so if you just, uh, yeah, I mean, you can, you can look up the case, obviously you can go on our social media or even if you Google death of the Fox and, uh, you know, brewery laws, um, or Pacific legal foundation and death of the Fox, you'll see yeah. all, we just filed our brief list. It's really interesting reading, especially for you, uh, legal Eagles out there is 40 pages of gets into all the nitty gritty of all the precedent and, uh, and, and why this is, uh, 
really just a just such a a clear cut violation. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's pivot to to you personally. Um, so of, of these two, what's just kind of your your first love? Beer, beer, <laughs> beer, or coffee? I, you know what? I would say beer is my first love, but um, I guess uh, I have through throughout you know the last five years, I be I've learned so much what about what goes into great coffee. Mm. Um, so that's really been uh. I get excited when I have the opportunity to learn new things and especially the science behind it. And, uh, uh, you know, so I kind of, you know, I spent a long time, obviously, you know, with, with, uh, before starting the brewery, I got my, you know, my professional brewing certification by the Cybo Institute out of Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, so in terms of brewing technology and brewing science, um, made sure that, you know, kind of, I was, I was ready to go when it comes to that. The coffee has been such a pleasant surprise because, hmm. uh, you know, I kind of opened, I, I knew, I thought I knew a lot about coffee. I knew nothing about coffee. Uh, you know, when you get into the actual, you know, all the different origins, all of the different, I mean, you know, when you, you are literally tasting the soil, hmm. when you get it, when you get a bean from Indonesia, uh, you know, a Sumatra, you're tasting that volcanic soil. It's really cool. You know, Kona coffee. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so, and, and then the way that cough, that green bean becomes, you know, the, the, the way that it's roasted and is perfected in a certain, you know, certain coffees want to be roasted a certain way. You know, I find that, you know, Ethiopian, uh, it tends to be a, a much, you know, it's, it's a very fruity bean. You don't want to over roast it. Mm. You know, there has a lot to get versus let's say more of like a Brazilian or a Colombian, you know, that's a medium to dark roast roasted bean, but in that it's a tougher hull, uh, husk and, and, and hull, and it provides, a, you know, that type of flavor. Um, we don't over roast things here. You know, we're not like Starbucks. You know, we have a lot of lighter to medium roasts. We have a couple, you know, uh, dark roasts as well. Um, so I think that I, I can't say, you know, I have two girls. I can't say which one I love more, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, two children. And, and so to choose between the two is it's tough. Like, and it's, it's become so that beer, beer and coffee are my children literally here. Got it. I can't choose between them, but I can say that, you know, it's been a real adventure um, learning more and more about the, uh, the coffee process. And that's, what's really exciting about the next, uh, the next phase of death of the Fox. Yeah. My, uh, my brother is super into coffee and he'll bring some stuff home sometimes. And I think one thing people underestimate is people seem to associate coffee a lot with like, you know, um, these like chocolate and, you know, dark notes, which, which I, I get, but I don't think people realize sometimes how fruity ch- oh, yeah. coffee can be, especially yeah. when some of the lighter roasts, like you mentioned, it, it, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. You get, you know, you like get sometimes you get straight like cherry, blueberry, it's blueberry. Like, yeah. Oh. Especially with, you know, blue- again, a lot of it is the soil. You know, a lot of it is the environment where, um, you know, you look at what surrounds that, uh, uh, that particular, those trees and what, and how they're pollinated, mm. you know, it's a, the same thing as why honey tastes different, you know, based on the type of flower that, of that particular honey, you know? So yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know, the more you get into something, the deeper it goes. That's what I love about what I do is that I'm still learning every day. And, uh, you know, I learned something new and, and I try to, especially as we bring in new origins and bring in new products, uh, you know, and, and, and 
that goes for the beer as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and so the, in terms of the, uh, uh, the next phase, I, I think that, um, you know, we're going to be doubling down on our coffee business. Our coffee is, has really over the last two years, since we opened the roastery has really, uh, been the strongest growth area for us. And, uh, while beer has been very strong as well, now they are, my goal really, you know, six years ago was to have a completely diversified 50, 50 business. So meaning that, you know, revenues, 50% coffee, 50% beer. Mm. When we first opened in our first year, we were 85% beer, 15% coffee. We just over the last quarter reached coffee sales have eclipsed beer sales for the first time. Wow. And, uh, you know, that's, that's due to, you know, in large part to the roastery, but also an increase in business, you know, on our weekdays, you know, we are, we're, we're bustling now, you know, on Monday mornings, afternoons. And the one thing that I didn't anticipate is that, you know, uh, 40% of our coffee sales are after two o'clock in the afternoon. Really? People love drinking coffee. Really? Later in, <laughs> later in the afternoon. That's pretty unbelievable, actually. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, especially when you get into lattes and that type of yeah. thing. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a delicacy, you know, it's not necessarily, you have your morning Joe, but you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of the stuff we bring to the table is, you know, is, is something that can be enjoyed anytime throughout the day. Yeah. So the, um, the name death of the Fox is something I looked into and there used to be an old inn, I believe. Right. right, right. So yeah. Tell the story if you would, uh, it's pretty interesting. So, uh, death of the Fox was, uh, was built in 1729, um, and it was a tavern um, pre-revolutionary war times, and it was the uh, the the meeting place for the Gloucester Fox Hunting Club. The Gloucester Fox Hunting Club was uh, um, started by four four of its founding members were signers of the Declaration of Independence. Wow! There is a lot of history in this area, and I'm a I'm I'm a history dork, and I love I love just uh, especially that era, you know, the colonial um, revolutionary war era, founding fathers, all of that. So always, always very interested in that. If I wasn't, if I wasn't in healthcare, I probably would have been a history pro- you know, professor or teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to be able to bring that awareness of, of the history that happened here, right in East Greenwich, um, you know, because ha- history just didn't happen in Philadelphia, it happened all around Philadelphia. So this area is indigenous for Fox and Fox hunting. Um, which was like the sport back in the 1700s, you know? So um, they would come from Philadelphia. They would hunt fox in this area where we're sitting today. And they would go to, after their hunts, they would go to Death of the Fox to consume what? Beer. <laughs> Alcohol. I think there was more mead back then. <laughs> yeah, probably. Know, like, <laughs> ciders or whatever. But I think they had beer, but it was, uh, but, but, but generally, you know, so that's just bringing awareness back to the history of this area. Uh, people are always like, how did you come up with that name? I'm like, I didn't come up with it. This it's, is it's here. This is us. Yeah. Yeah. And we have nothing against Fox. You know, our, if you look around, we celebrate Fox and, you know, we don't, we <laughs> don't, don't want to kill Fox. All it's, those PETA listeners. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no. Believe me. I've, I've been approached by people. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, yeah, it's, it's just, it, I remember uh, there was a roadside sign um, right next to the house, which is now it's still standing. So it's, it's almost 300 years old. It's now a private residence and it's a national historic landmark. So right next to the house is a national registry, you know, historic Hmm. registry sign says death of the Fox Tavern. And the first time I saw that after we moved here from Medford, 
Um, I was just like, if I ever have a brewery, I'm going to call it that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's well, awesome. You know, five years later. Um, so on this in this show, it's called Leverage and Beverage. We've talked a lot today about stumbling blocks that kind of can inhibit business. Yeah. What are some of the major points of leverage that you've had or you've seen so far? Things that really gave you a competitive advantage. I guess one is majorly the coffee, which we spoke about. Yeah. But any other major points of leverage that really gave you um, a nice advantage in the marketplace? Uh, you know, I, uh, w- so when one of the first things when I decided to move forward and start the company uh, is I decided to join the local chamber of commerce. Mm. And I I really didn't even know what it, what a, what a chamber of commerce was. I mean, to be honest with you, it was just like, Oh, it's where small businesses get together and that type of thing. And you know, being part of it. Um, what an amazing opportunity. Um, and uh, so, you know, so I'm uh, I'm on the executive board of the Gloucester County Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I will be uh, chair of the board coming this May. Um, I'm also very involved in the uh, Woodbury Chamber of Commerce. Um, and I'm always amazed that more businesses are not involved in these things. Uh, I really think that that's given us a competitive advantage. We do tons of events. I mean, you know, we talk about events, but um you know before july of last year but uh <laughs> but no no we events and doing things like packaging we do uh private label uh coffee for uh, a bunch of different companies uh but more than that we provide uh you know, there's just so many there's so many opportunities in connecting with your local business community that i i'm amazed that you know there are you know i think I think the last number I read was like 90% of businesses are not part of their local chamber of commerce. And um, it's really, so that's that for, uh, for me individually has been um, I'm so glad that I did that. And it allows me to, it doesn't matter what industry we're able to connect um, and help each other out, you know? Um, So that was key. The other thing I think is being uh, really in tune to, um, what's going on uh from you know, especially during covid you know i did i did a lot we did a lot of uh said a lot of bad things about the state not say bad things we uh, you know we made fun of the state a lot you know during yeah, this conversation yeah, yeah. but i will say that um you know we were helped out by a number of programs not only by the state um you know at the county level at the federal level um be aware of the opportunities for grants for, um, uh, you know, for, uh, special interest loans and things like that, um, that, you know, just that, that are available to you. That's another thing that I'm really amazed that more people don't know about is that, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, there's these, these programs they're funded, but they're not even used, mm. you know, some of these dollars just sit there. Um, so we've taken advantage of that, especially during the COVID time. Um, to be able to kind of put ourselves in a position now where we're in a real area of strength and really have used that time to kind of energize ourselves for our next uh, phase of growth. Um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, having good having good lawyers and accountants. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. If you want to start a brewery, uh, yeah, have, 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 have some good lawyers. I would tell people. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. And so that's honestly part of what you're saying here is what some of this podcast is really about. It's all those places where businesses may be able to impact each other in ways that they're not even um, exploiting currently. They don't even know what other places or even businesses that aren't in their same field, how they can cross pollinate with them or, or work together in other ways. I think there's so much opportunity in that area and it's completely underutilized. Or yeah. At be least, curious. You know yeah. what I mean? It, you may not think it impacts your business, but have conversations with other business people. Yeah. There, there, there's a way there's some something there that can happen. And it's not just it's there. And it's, it's not only there are so many opportunities for synergy. Right. Like, yeah. you know, one of and I'll leave you with this is that one of the things that I'm so excited about is what we're doing um, with our uh, the regional uh, uh, tourism program, which is so I chair the uh, Two Bridges Beer, Wine and Spirits Trail. Awesome. Um, we are now 26 members. We are we're not just breweries, but we're wineries and we're distilleries. We're all in the three county region, mostly three county region of Camden, uh, Gloucester, and uh, Cumberland. Now Salem, they're they're uh, j- the first brewery just opened up in Salem last year. Um, so uh, to be able to connect with uh, you know with other with other businesses to be able to promote, you know, especially in New Jersey, you know, New Jersey is mostly seen as a pass through state. Right. Um, you know, you, you drive down the turnpike, you're yeah. coming from New York, you're driving through Jersey. What we're trying to do with two bridges is stop in South Jersey and enjoy all that we have to offer here. Mm. I mean, literally right here within Gloucester County, we have 13 wineries. We have 17 breweries, you know, um, and now we have what five or six distilleries. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Like, you know, we're so concentrated, especially in this area of the state, um, you know, and so really the charge of of what we're doing is to be able to, you know, grow everybody's business and see opportunities beyond just to bring people into this beautiful region, especially, you know, the farms and rolling fields and all of that with all of the, um, you know, and, and give them an opportunity to really get a taste of the area. Yeah. So that's, that's incredibly exciting. So just those examples, just get engaged, get excited. Absolutely. And connect with other people and other businesses, and you'll be amazed by what happens. Cool. And um, just before we go, I have a, a quick question round here. So it's gonna be five quick questions. Sure. Just give me your, your quick answer on those. Um, what's the coolest thing that you've seen lately? Could be anything. Could be movies, um, you know, uh, music, whatever it is. What's the coolest thing you've seen? Oh man, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed Andor, the, uh, the oh new, nice the new series. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, they're, they're really expanding that whole universe a lot. Well, I, yeah, and I was really disappointed by a couple of the series on Disney Plus. Oh yeah, uh, you know, like the, the the newer ones. It was, you know. I, yeah, the Mandalorian was good, but a couple of the others I was and I was shocked at how good Andor is. So Sweet. yeah, that was real was really cool. Um, what are some tools that you use on a day-to-day basis? Could be like physical tool, digital tool that you couldn't live without. My free my refractometer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, most know, people yeah. don't know. No, it's 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 how you measure the uh, soluble sugars in a in a and in, in beer specifically. And yes, I, if without that, I, I wouldn't be able to tell people how strong my beer is. <laughs> um, what are the most transformational changes you are seeking to make in the next 90 days? 
Um, that could be either personally or business oriented. Uh, no doubt. We're, um, we're finalizing the lease on our second location mm-hmm. and it's going to be about 15 minutes from us. And it's cool. really, really exciting. And it's going to help transform um, the, uh, you know, kind of take the uh, death of the Fox, our brand and everything to the next level. Um, and it will be centered around the coffee. What's the, what's the, what the location, if you, if you can tell us? Glassboro. Glassboro, cool. Um, and then finally, what is your favorite beverage? Oh my God, that's really tough. You're asking going to brew. Actually, actually, give me, give me two, give me two. Okay. Or if you want to. So how, how, wait, how granular are we going with, with, with favorite beverage? Um, I would say, give us both, give us both layers, like a overview, like say beer and then a specific one or. Okay. You no, know, gotcha. You, you, you for coffee as well, if you want to. <laughs> um, well, you know what? I have to give props. So it's a question that I get a lot in podcasts and things like that. I have to give props to Sierra Nevada's pale ale. Absolutely. Right. Because that's what started it all for me. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that is the beer that changed my life. Mm. And I just had one over the holidays and I was just like, oh my God, I haven't tasted this beer in like 10 years. It is still a friggin' great beer. I'm not saying that I don't love my own beer and I don't think some of my beers are, you know, let's say better, but how to but that is the one that will always be to me, the beer that changed my life. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just, I really feel like, um, uh, when I go, when I, when I go out, I, I, I typically try to, um, you know, be personally not to like drink beer, but try other things mm. only because beer is my world here. Um, so the thing that I'm really, you know, I, I don't know. I've been trying different kombuchas yeah. and they've been really good. Cause they're kind of like uh, bringing like the world of sours into, but a very lightly, you know, lightly alcohol or almost not even out. It's so I feel like there's opportunity there and I feel like there's opportunity for death of the Fox. Mm. So I'm exploring, I'm exploring kombucha right now, pretty seriously, especially in the, in the, in the coffee um, space. You know what I mean? It seems like a good compliment in that world. Oh yeah. Tea, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So, you know, um, I'm gonna give you the next few minutes here or a minute or so just to plug anything or any final thoughts that you have. Um, please, anybody who's interested, I know we spent a lot of time today talking about the brewery, uh, uh, regulations in New Jersey. So I would, uh, ask everybody to go to, um, uh, www.brewjersey.beer. Uh, so it's brew, B-R-E-W, Jersey, dot beer. Um, especially if you live in New Jersey, it, you'll easily be able to, there's automated tools where you'll be able to contact your local representatives, give them form letters. It takes about a minute and you will be able to get your voice heard. So you can let your legislators know exactly how you feel about these ridiculous laws. Um, also definitely just come check us out. Um, understand that, you know, uh, come check out death of the Fox. We're right off exit 18 to two ninety five. My people in Burlington and Camden County, I got to tell you, okay. We're not that far. We're not as far as you think. You're not. I, I I thought you were further. <laughs> you right. That no, they go, oh, you know, you're all the way down there. No, it's it's literally you jump on 295 and you have to go through, you know, obviously the the, the weird thing, the, the weird <laughs> the <laughs> that, construction that, project that, that never ends. That conglomerate. Yes, of, yes, yes. <laughs> you have to go through that. And hopefully, you know, I mean, uh, it 
get through that. And then it's literally like five or six miles down yeah. right off, uh, right off the highway. And, uh, yeah, we got some great restaurants right next to us and it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's closer than you think. So come check us out. Cool. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks for coming on. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Happy new year. Take you care. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms, and you'll get notifications whenever new episodes are posted. If you want to write to us, our email is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com. And if you follow us on Instagram, it's at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Subasinski, and you've been listening to Leverage and Beverage. As always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time. Thank you.